Yo, 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 yo. I am Brad Rickle, and this is the Brad Rickle Brief. According to the CDC, the life expectancy of a person born in the United States is about 78 years old. A little less for men, a little more for women, but that's the average. And the average is going to work for this show. That's just over 4,000 weeks worth of life that you have on this planet. And for the math dorks, the technical number is 4,056. But let's agree that 4,000 is easier to say and remember, so that's the number I'm going to be using going forward. But 4,000 weeks doesn't sound like a lot, does it? It sounds way different than 78 years. When you think of 4,000 weeks, what are your first thoughts? Does it sound like a lot? Or does that number sound smaller than you imagined? When I read the book 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman, my first reaction was it sounded like a very small number. And let me make a crazy assumption that you are not a newborn and have the full 4,000 weeks left. You know, and I've, I've tested this, and I actually test great with infants and toddlers, so they might be listening, but I'm going to assume that you are not. But so let's say you're 40 years old. Do the quick math. You have 2,000 weeks left. 70 is about 400 weeks. I find that most people don't like thinking about mortality, let alone talking about it. But the acknowledgement that life is being finite is actually a gift, and that's what the point of today's show is. Bringing awareness to our own mortality is not the same as wanting your life to end. It's the opposite. You value life even more because you understand it's going to end. And our life being finite is a gift. Because we don't have all the time in the world, it prompts us to action. And action might be the most important thing we can do. If you live forever, you could theoretically do everything. Given enough time, accomplishing everything could be possible. Time would be no restraint, so you would not need to understand your values to prioritize your decisions. You simply could do it later. And that's not our life. Thankfully, we have to make choices because our life is infinitesimally short. Why is understanding our own mortality a gift? Two reasons. First, it gives us the drive to look internally to better understand who we are. In search for who we are, we place value on things. These values make us make priorities, and that will prompt our actions. The desire to act, to look internally, that's the first reason it's a gift. The second, understanding that you are not going to accomplish almost anything as compared to the amount of things that are possible. And what do I mean when I say that? There is a list of possible things to do, and this list is so large, we can say it's ostensibly infinite. No matter how productive we are in life, we will only be able to accomplish a small fraction of what was possible. And this acknowledgement can make room to not stress the notion that we're not getting enough done because when it's all tallied in the end of what we did versus what we didn't do, it's always going to be a small fraction. So those two reasons combined make this concept of mortality awareness a gift that we get 4,000 weeks on this planet. We get to decide what we want to do based on our priorities. Life is short. We should act, but we will only accomplish a few things in life so we should make them important and not stress about the things we don't get done because we can't get it all done but our lives are based on productivity aren't they we want to be more productive to accomplish more things I know I do that's certainly a reason I do this show 
It's not the main reason, but there is a sense of satisfaction recording a show, posting it. I get a little tick mark in the productivity box. I think you know what I'm talking about. We're all kind of wired with it. This strategy is paradoxical, however. There is a recursive effect of productivity. The more you do, the more there is to do. And productivity for its own sake takes us away from important things. For example, do you have email at work? Have you tried this inbox zero technique where you answer all the emails in your inbox to have it cleared out? What happens? Do you think you're finally free and clear so you can work on your big project that you were supposed to be doing all this time? No. What you find out is there are responses to your emails and that after a while, people understand that you reply back to them, so they email you more often. So attempting to clear out your inbox actually created more email. That's the recursive effect. But you still may not understand how this second point is actually a gift. Because this reframing would prompt a person to take care of important work first. Because the few things that you actually do accomplish, you want it to be meaningful. You shouldn't put off important work for an urgent email. Replying to the email will very likely simply create more work, taking more time from what's important. But there may be a few people listening, responding to emails for a living and saying, great Brad, but I don't answer emails, I get fired. Yep, fine. Guess what? That's your job. An acknowledgement is totally fine if that's your job. But there might be some people out there who could find this mental model helpful, understanding that not all emails need to be responded to, and that can be helpful too. But we try to be super productive in this life as a form of order to reduce uncertainty. We want desperately to have less chaos in our lives, so we schedule events out as far as we can. We plan the summers and all the camps and the kids' soccer games with hope that once it's all organized, that we'll reach a point in time that things seem like they're going to be in our control. That if we push hard and work through all of this, the project on the other side will be the really important one. We try to master time to reduce uncertainty in our future. That's what we're attempting to do. And the future is always going to be uncertain though. Or at least tomorrow, next year, the next decade. We're all going to have the same amount of uncertainty then as we do now. And it'll be a different kind of uncertainty based on your actions that you have in the present. But the uncertainty is going to be constant. But you get your project done, and what's on the other side? It's another project to do. Ad infinitum. It's Sisyphus. You push the boulder up the mountain. You get paid to do work. There's always going to be work to do. That's kind of what you want. In fact, there's a rule that I use in business that you give the most important work to the busiest people because those are the people that are actually going to get it done. They have to. They have to have great time management and they have to work efficiently because they're so busy. And I say all that to build on the point that there's a paradox to our reality. You can't tame the future. The best we can do is lean into our lives as they actually are. Understanding that our future is always uncertain, that we only get to accomplish a few things gives us permission to make choices that mean something to us. So great. I've slowly laid out the groundwork for you to have a small existential crisis. Our lives are short, we accomplish almost nothing, and the more we do, the busier we get. Great. Great case for nihilism, right? Yeah, Yes, not the existential crisis part, but to acknowledge our reality because now we can build from there. We can start reframing. Have you ever heard the story of the teacher who pulls the jar and asks the 
dumbest kid in class to come up to the front and put all the rocks in the jars in the big one. The kid does it the wrong way. Then the teacher shows him, you put the big rocks in first, and this is supposed to represent the most important things. And then you put the smaller rocks in, and it fills in some of the smaller gaps. Then you put the sand in, and it fills in all the remaining space. The point of that exercise, that allegory, is if you do the really important stuff first, that you're going to have time for the other stuff later. I think it would actually be more practical for you to put lots of big rocks in front of this teacher, lots of smaller rocks, lots of sand, much more than could ever fill this metaphorical jar. And then say, go ahead, fill it up. And what they're going to find is most of the stuff doesn't fit inside the jar. And that's what our lives are actually like. No matter the choices you make, most of the stuff will not get done. Really important things, really big rocks won't get done. We simply can't do it all. Elon Musk is building rockets and attempting to build a colony on Mars, self-driving cars here on Earth, digging tunnels. He keeps getting divorced as well. It comes at a cost. He can't get it all done. None of us can. Some really important things to him aren't getting done. But now we can navigate to this second position, not one of trying to get everything done, understanding that even really important things to us are not going to get done. And this is going to be the art of choosing what not to do by first focusing on things that don't hold value to us. We individually can cut and filter huge swaths of possibilities to something not just executable, but manageable in things that we find value in. A great life, CEO of a company, winning the Tour de France, those are all great goals and they can be things that you want to drive towards. You right now are likely accomplishing something great and wonderful. And it's coming at the expense of other things that are also important to you. And that's okay. We're already doing it. Warren Buffett tells of a technique on how to be successful. You take some time and you write down the 25 most important things to you and you arrange them from most important to least important. And now you cut the list off of the top five. The bottom 20 needs to be scratched out. They can't be done. Moreover, they can't just not be done once one of the top five are done. You have to actively avoid the bottom 20, especially numbers six through 10. Those are in a very dangerous category. Those are things that are really important to you that you might want to give time, energy, and focus to, but they're going to take away from the top five. They're going to derail you. And that's an interesting way to look at those priorities. If it falls below your line, below your top five, you have to actively avoid it because it derails you from the things that are most important. It's not that we just do the things that are important to us. We're going to have to leave important things on the cutting room floor. Knowing your values and priorities, you can actively choose the things that you should not do. And those are much more sweeping categories of things and should encompass almost everything. What you're left with are a few things that mean the most to you. Moreover, we shouldn't try too hard to make the most out of life, this productivity mindset. Sure, we have to plan for tomorrow. You have to save, you have to invest, plan on living to 72. Shoot, you might want to even plan on living to 90. That's just smart business. Think about your future self, but understand that nothing's going to be guaranteed. And you don't have to quantify every single hour of the present to some future goal. The important thing, life is to be lived. You should not act for fear of dying because it's going to happen. You should live with intention. But we're socialized to use our time now for some future payoff. We go to kindergarten, 
to get ready for elementary school, elementary school for high school, high school for college, college for job. Nothing in growing up is really for the moment. It's always for preparation and something else, some future payoff. That's not a great feeling to always be chasing something. And once accomplished, the enjoyment's fleeting because we need to start preparing for the next thing almost immediately. You graduate high school, and at your graduation party, the only question you were guaranteed to get asked was, what's next for you? What college are you going to? What job are you taking? Mallory sent me on a fly fishing trip the other day for Father's Day, for a Father's Day gift. And it was great. In it, I noticed one of the reasons I enjoyed it so much was that I had to focus on the task right in front of me, the fly in the water. Hours went by before I really looked up to kind of take in the view. And it was great. We were down in the Jackson. I was engulfed in the moment. Activities, when used like this, are referred to as italic activities or things that you do for the sake of doing it. The value isn't derived from the output. You catch a fish and you release it. Being on the water, fishing is the point. There's one last thing Berkman wrote about in his book that I enjoyed, and it's about settling. Settling is a concept that we're told to always avoid, that we should never settle. It's a bad thing. But settling is always occurring as decisions are being made. If you decide to not marry your partner because there could potentially be a better match for you in the future, and you're sitting around and you're going another 10 years of dating trying to find this other partner, you're going to come to the realization that the partner you do end up with isn't perfect as according to your imagination. Anyway, there's going to be some compromises, but what you missed out on was 10 years of marriage. You might not ever experience what a 50-year marriage is now. You'll never get that deep relationship understanding So that's what you settled for. It's a compromise. This idea that settling is a bad thing just isn't true. Every time we make a decision, we're settling on different ends of the decision tree. Again, this is a reframing concept. You don't want to settle for the relationship or the job that isn't perfect, but you've likely met people who simply go all in on a job that isn't perfect for them or the partner that doesn't meet their fantasies in every single way. And they're all the happier for it. I read 4,000 weeks and I was left with a sense of reassurance that it's good to understand that our life is short, that we're a blip on this screen of history. We'll only accomplish a few things and what we do accomplish is going to get lost to time. It doesn't fill me with despair. I don't want to say screw it and do nothing. I get more energy to do things like this podcast to connect with people, to be with my family, to cook them dinner. Because life's fleeting. It's so fleeting, the only reasonable thing to do is the next most important thing. It makes me want to exercise and eat healthy to try to be as capable a person for as long as I can. But I can still do all that and realize that things don't always break my way. Most of everything is out of my control. All we can really do is the next most important thing. And you do that enough, you can get a really good life. Acknowledging our own mortality doesn't put us in a position that nothing matters. It means that only a few things matter. And I hope you understand the difference. All right, that is it, folks. Thank you for listening to today's show. If you have any comments or questions on today's show, 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals by Oliver Berkman, email me, bradripplebrief at gmail.com or find me on Twitter at Brad Rickle. Do you know of someone 
that you would like to hear on this show, family member, a friend, yourself, email me and let's make something happen. Everyone has a story to tell. Those are my favorite episodes. If you like the show, you can always leave a review on Apple Podcasts or hit the subscribe button on how you are listening to this thing. Music, as always, is provided by James Spensley. Dude knows how to shred. See you later. I'm out.